0: Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Next Level. I'm JVL here with my best friend, Tim Miller, and also... Kind of a very good friend, Will Salatin, sitting in for Sarah Longwell. Will and Tim are from The Bulwark, so am I. You should hit the subscribe button right now. Follow us along. And uh, and then go over to bulwark.com and sign up for our free newsletters written by our buddy Charlie Sykes. It's out every morning. He does it every day. It's fantastic. We have great articles and stuff to read. And lots of, if I were to summarize The Bulwark over the last week... I would use the Gronk Spike GIF. Tim, you seem like you were in a little bit of uh, a little bit of a mood today. So I would like to give you the opportunity to get happy over the news that Carrie Lake. We're just going to humor her for this little bit more, and what could be the harm of it? But that she's actually lost.
2: Are we humoring her?
1: Who's humoring her? I think we're humoring her. I think the, the Republican position now is, well, it doesn't look good for her, but you have must understand there's going to be an automatic recount triggered. And, and Michael Flynn has said if we get a live streamed hand count of every single ballot that he can watch with his own eyes, then he promises he'll leave this whole
2: election stuff thing alone. I don't know. Charlie Kirk looked pretty sad on his live stream last night. I don't know how much how could humor, you tell. I don't know how much that guy always looks sad. Be. No, he looked especially sad. He was a sad puppy dog <laughs> sad, and I was made me happy, which is how I could tell that I was sad. There's there's some kind of sense, kind of animal sense you have when someone else is, someone that you d- dislike is is suffering and that, that that can allow you some joy. Will is a good person, so Will doesn't know this emotion. But <laughs> Will rest, has no the, idea what you're r- talking about. The rest about. of people, many listeners understand this emotion. Uh, and, uh, and so I could tell that you sad. Uh, you know, I mean, Kerry is, even doesn't seem like her heart is in it. Uh, this, is the, this is the big, this is the thing about Trump. As awful as all these other people are. Every time I say this, people go like, oh, you're defending Trump. No, as awful as all the other Republicans are, Trump is a special kind of sociopath. OK, it is very challenging. And we'll maybe talk about my ban in exchange. No matter how insane you are, OK, it is very hard as a human to, to tell a preposterous lie over and over again and to get thousands and thousands of people to believe it. Millions in Trump's case, you know, to stand up there while people are storming the Capitol and be like, yeah, I'm sticking with this lie. I'm not giving an inch, you know, and, and even and, and all of the other election diners have been very bad at this. Kerry, I thought, was the one that might have it. And even old Carrie, you know, the Arizonans are seeing through this BS tweet. I don't know. It didn't have the same joie de vivre that she had before the election. You know, it just didn't have the same kind of performative quality. I just, I don't know that she's even, that she's got the gene. It's a uniquely Trump gene. So, Will,
1: I have seen over the last five hours, I've seen people say, hold on, Katie Hobbs only has 100,000 Twitter followers and Carrie Lake has 1.2 million. You're going to tell me that that is plausible, that Katie Hobbs could win an election against her? I have seen Fox News, a reporter on Fox News, not a head, a reporter saying that, quote, somehow Katie Hobbs acquired one, more than 1.2 million votes. Acquired be an amazing verb choice there. Uh, I think all of the, the table is set for a Who little was that? Of,
2: Who was the Fox News host that said that?
1: Uh, I'm sorry. I, I don't keep their names in regular rotation. I just, you know, I see okay. them posted by on, on the tweet deck and I think— Like Jesse Waters or someone no, like no, that? No, no, it was a reporter. It was, it was not a head. It was a reporter. Oh, oh yeah. okay. Anyway, Will, what do you think here? Are we gonna are we gonna keep denying reality, or
0: are, are are Republicans developing a taste for reality here? Well, they're not developing a taste for it. But the the thing about reality, JVL, is that it doesn't care about your feelings, right? And so oh, so over time you ought to put that on a mug. <laughs> <laughs> so over time, you know, I mean, you can lie. I, I mean, I'm surprised how long they got away with lying about the 2020 election, but. Over time, as reality accumulates and you try to maintain the—I mean, I agree with Tim. I, I think there's there's friction when you try to lie. It's harder to sustain your lie in the face of accumulating evidence. So every election that goes by where they deny the results makes it harder on them. It's just a little bit of extra strain.
2: The George Costanza—it's it's the George Costanza, you know, kind of de- ma- maxim, right? Will, you know, it's it's like it's not a lie if yeah. you believe it. Right. You can continue and lie as long as you believe it, but the more and more reality that interferes, the harder it is for you to kind of pull that trick off.
0: Right. And I, look, here's the way I would put it. If you, I can lie about gravity. I can toss something in the air and it falls. The more things I toss in the air and fall, it's just going to get harder and harder for me to sustain that. But JVL, I wanted to come back to what you said about the Twitter followers, because that is a classic mental defect on the right, which is you look at the number of people yeah. in the room. In your room, right? I mean, the notorious example of this was every rally. Trump would say, look at all the people we have here. Meanwhile, Biden is in his basement. How could he possibly win? And then after the election, how could he possibly have one? Look at this enormous crowd we have. The problem is that these people who talk about the crowd, the size of the crowd in their room, or who talk about their number of followers are paying almost no attention to the other population outside of the room. And that was the problem for the Republican Party in this election. They focused entirely on who they were mobilizing on their side, not all the people they were mobilizing on the other side. Certainly true of the 2020 election, which was a story of 81 million people coming out to vote against a presidential candidate, something we've never seen the likes of. And so eventually they will either learn the lesson that there is a population outside that doesn't like who they're nominating, and they'll fix it, Or they'll just go on losing, and it's just going to get harder and harder for them to pretend that isn't happening.
1: All right. I I have a question here.
0: With no Dobbs decision, does Kerry Lake lose? I think that it's close enough in that race, as we look at it now, that Cary Lake would have won it without Dobbs. Kind of what I think, too. There are a lot of races, guys, that we looked at on election night and the two days after that we thought were close and are now five-point races. Right, I think Pennsylvania Senate's a five mm-hmm. point race. I think Arizona Senate. Arizona Senate, yep, also a five point race. There's a few Nevada, right? Nevada, Georgia,
1: mm-hmm. the Arizona governor. I mean, there there are a handful of very close races, though. That I think it's pretty clear Dobbs was the deciding factor. You wrote the piece on this, Will. You you have right the uh, yeah. So I don't know. I, I don't know that this means that if they keep doing this over and over again, they keep losing. I think that they
2: have to figure out what they think about abortion. That's one of the interesting things. I mean, 0 for, 8, 0 for 18 is not nothing. I mean, there's a pretty strong trend here. I, look, we did this last week. and I had some people in the comments on my, my, my just sort of rally around the democracy flag rah-rah article, which I believe I do believe every word of. But there were some uh, legitimate pushback, which is like, Tim, you can't get over over exuberant right? Like some of these things were a coin flip and like we got lucky. And we talked about this last week. We did get lucky. Like there is, there's is an element of luck in all of this. Like, uh, you know, I, there was an element of luck that Trump won in 2016 for him. i like these things were that close. There was an element of luck in this one. And that Dobbs obviously played a factor, but like not, it's not nothing. I mean, you, you can compare it. One way to look at it is that you know, she's up by what, nineteen thousand votes now, Hobbes. So who knows how it'll yeah. end up being, but somewhere around there, probably. Um and and so, you know, if not Dobbs could with that have maybe changed enough votes or, or dampened turnout enough for the Democrats, sure. But as I wrote in the in the article, if you look at the treasurer's race. Which is which has no Dobbs, no democracy, none of that at play. It's it's basically just a pure ballot on, do you like the Republicans or the Democrats? The treasurer's race. Nobody cares about any of the particulars. The Republican won by ten. You know, so (laughs) so like the the penalty that, that that Lake paid for the crazy. You know, and it's impossible to bifurcate. I mean, I will try it, and I think it's worth looking at the Hob stuff. But it's possible to totally, you know, split apart the two biggest elements of the crazy, which is the the extreme abortion restrictionism and the and the election denialism. Like, was punished the, uh, significant? I mean, that, that's One in ten people, like, that's a very significant number that it impacted. Um, and, and so, I you know, it shouldn't be dismissed. It's uh, so. What is what is Carrie like? do now does she go
1: back to does she just hit the OAN circuit does she realize that she can make a pretty good buck the way Mike
2: Lindell does
1: what's your theory Tim
2: I have an idea you know how you know how Nina Turner was like the hype girl for Bernie's campaign and she like basically just traveled with him and like was the intro for Bernie and like was just this little Prague media star and hype person hype woman excuse me I think that Kay- Carrie could be a hype woman. I think she could be a really strong hype woman for Trump presidential race. You know, just sort of like the intro, the lead in, I and mean, she's she is a presenter, right? In the we were both cheated. Sense. I was cheated, just like he I was, was treated very unfairly. You know, she's good at that. So that's one thing that she could do. I and mean, she's certainly not going to be hired by the NBC affiliate in in Tucson. I don't think. So and I don't, and think, I don't that's think she, she hired by Fox
1: either, right? This is uh, this is this isn't on our show map. But can we take two minutes here and talk it's about true. so Murdoch World has decided? I didn't read the
2: show map, so Great. I'm going live Great. anyway.
1: So we'll, fuck it, we'll do it live. <laughs> uh, so Murdoch World has turned against Trump, and we saw this in a coordinated way with Fox and the New York Post and Wall Street Journal all going after him. Uh, I'm interested to see if Fox continues to do this pivot if they start losing some ground to Newsmax uh, the way they did post January 6th. I'm i I'm just curious, what, what do you guys think about this? Do you think that the, the Republican base is going to buy all this very weak anti-Trump talk from these rhino
0: elites in their Manhattan high rises? Or what, what do you think? This is a really interesting question. I so you have to look at the Republican base. Here's the way I would break it down. How much of the Republican base is about winning? How much of it is about the cult that's specific to Trump? And how much of it is about tears? Those are all different things. They're all mixed together, right? So if it's an open question to me. We'll, we'll find out in, in the course of history uh, if, say, the Murdochs turn against Trump and a bunch of people start going with Ron DeSantis, or people start fracturing to other candidates. Who has enough of a combination of winner, cult, and tears? Trump is losing the winner thing, right? The parts of the base that care about winning are looking for someone else right now. There is some cult that will just be with Trump, and then if you're gonna try to run against that, you're gonna have to figure out how to win a general election without alienating all of those folks, right? But the tears thing is really important. And what I think is that what we're seeing in the emergence of Ron DeSantis is a guy who has the winning and who has the tears. And that's a big deal. He he gets the tears constituency. And if he can take that away from Trump, and I believe he can, he can win. He can win the Republican nomination for president and the Murdochs would be right to bet on him. All right, we'll we'll get to the Trump
1: twenty twenty four conundrum later. Uh, I guess we're done with Carrie Lake.
2: I just I just want to say one thing on the Fox yes. News Max yeah. thing because we don't the the real answer is it'll be interesting to see in the next month, right? Like I, the the because it's hard to to separate out. And I've always thought, right? Like the, the, there's a logical fallacy, right? That just because something that hasn't happened yet doesn't mean it never will happen. Right, and so I, i had always said for years, I was like, eventually the people made fun of Joe Biden about the fever will break, but like eventually, like a series of events happen that people do get sick of the shit, right? Like eventually that happens. Like eventually it happened for every cult leader. Like eventually it happened for Koresh, people left, right? Like like there is a breaking point. So it's always been bad to bet that there's going to be a breaking point. There've been a lot of dumb pundits betting for breaking points over and over again, but I think that there's this question now of like. Like, do people have it in them to go through another round of the the ballots and the fraud and the machines? I mean, like there'll be some people that do that. Right. But are there enough of those people to move over to Newsmax? Like the precipitating event of 2020 was so shocking to people, like this notion that sleepy Joe Biden in his basement could have won felt so ridiculous to them. And then Trump on the, you know, in front in their face every day on Twitter and on TV and on all their outlets saying it was stolen. It was stolen. You could see why people got mad and got emotional and was like, fuck you, Brett Baer." I'm not, not going to watch Brett Baer tell me this is wrong, okay? I'm going to move over here and listen to Sean Spicer tell me that, that it's right, that it was stolen from me. And so that makes sense, right? What percentage of those people are still mad enough to do that two years later after another round of beatings? Some, but like a lot, a little, I, you know, half, I don't know, TBD.
1: I don't know, man. If Fox is telling him that it's their fault for supporting Trump, yeah. that Republicans so lost. Them, that's but pretty, how many? I don't know. Right? That's uh, tough.
2: That will be interesting to find out.
1: All right. Uh, we're going to move on. We're going to talk about Kevin McCarthy and Rona Romney and all that in a minute. Uh, first, I want to talk a little bit about Bowling Branch, our, our very favorite sponsor, who make— Luxury bedding, and uh, Will, I believe you have not had the pleasure of sampling Bolin Branch's long staple cotton goods. <laughs> Is that true? Uh, they're amazing. So, so uh, Tim and I are always talking about this stuff and laughing because even Sarah, who was very skeptical. Loved them so
2: much. Now, to be fair, Sarah was still sleeping on the same sheets that she got at Kenyon at Target. Okay, so it was like it was a. I mean, <laughs> lesbians a little different deal. So it was a big upgrade for her. Like maybe, maybe more of an upgrade than maybe it was for G- me and JVL, but it was an upgrade for us.
1: So, uh, so last night, my uh, my older daughter, favorite, uh, she is sick, and my wife is sick, and so favorite and and my wife were in our bed together, and I desperately do not want to get sick. So I went and slept in favorites bed. And, uh, you know, I get very nice sheets for my kids. I've always made sure that none of my children have to sleep on anything below 400 thread count. Uh, you know, I don't go like all the way to the luxury, luxury stage for them. But I want them to have nice seats. And I felt like I was crawling into sandpaper last night <laughs> because I'm so used to my bowl and branch with their long staple cotton. And I had a lousy night's sleep last night because I was sleeping on lousy sheets. So, Tim... Do you have anything to add? Because Christmas is coming, and people should buy these things as presents for anybody they have in their life who they would like to treat to something a little bit luxurious. Yeah,
2: maybe my mother-in-law. Tough to shop for. Ooh. Mother-in-laws are tough to shop for. So I hope she might listen to this. Actually, close your ears, Anne. Um, <laughs> she might be getting some long staple cotton? We'll see.
1: Don't want her to be spoiled. This Black Friday, oh my God! Can you believe it's already I hate it. Black Don't Friday? Don't talk about this, it. Let's move on. Mm. This Black Friday, give the gift of a better night's sleep with Bowl and Branch. Get 25% off your first set of sheets and free shipping when you use promo code NEXTLEVEL at BowlandBranch.com. That's Bowl and Branch, B O L L A N D, branch.com. Promo code NEXTLEVEL. Offer ends November 27. 25% off. That's really good. Guess you guys should go do that. All right. You know, I'm a little bit upset. Many months ago, we talked about if you could have only one person lose this cycle, you get to reach down like the finger of Mm. God and pick one loser. We all said it would have been Mm. J.D. Vance. I don't think you were here for that, Will. And of course, of course, J.D. Vance is the one guy who wins. Mm. Right. The one who sneaks through. And I find that very disappointing, and it really, to be honest, impacted my ability to enjoy the last seven days. Mm. But on the other hand, watching Kevin McCarthy uh, has been amazing, Mm. because it looks like he may not get to become speaker, and if he does somehow squeak through to, to win the speakership, it will be hands down the worst job anybody has had as Speaker of the House in modern history.
2: Uh, how wonderful is that, Tim? It's really wonderful. And I, this is just, now that it's probably going to happen, I can just admit to this, but just want to let you know, I, I'm very, as you know, as Will knows sometimes to his dis- discomfort, I'm very YOLO these days. You know, I just, I'm an open book. I tell you all what I think, right? I don't, I try not to have secret thoughts. It's like, you know, you guys want to know, un, you want unvarnished Tim. Okay, that's that's what people come for. But I had a secret thought. That I didn't want to share because it was, I understood that it was bad for the country and I knew that it was like, that it was with the devil on my shoulder. And the secret thought as we got later and later on election night was, boy... I kind of want Kevin McCarthy to have a 219 seat majority rather than Nancy Pelosi having the speakership. I mean, it would have been sat- for satisfying for Nancy Pelosi to beat her, too. And it would have been better for the country. To And it would have been better for Hunter Biden. I get all that. I get it. I get it. I'm not saying I. in my mind, I get that it would have been better for the Democrats to squeak it out. But boy, is it going to be satisfying. To, the pain that Kevin McCarthy has to deal with Marjorie Taylor Greene, Matt gates if she sneaks through Lauren Boebert. There's some crazies that everyone's going to get introduced to in the next two years. There is, uh, I believe, a internet celebrity uh, from Florida who has won. A young woman who's going to be a new uh, member of the House. So I think we'll start to get attention. Andy Biggs. I bet she's one of the really smart and impressive internet celebrities. She is impressive, yeah. And uh, Andy yeah. Biggs. Um, is now challenging McCarthy as we as we tape this right now. Um, I think that's in, that tells you a lot about the state of the party. That like people people looked at what happened in the House. The members looked at it in the midterms. So they're like, Ooh, we don't love Mr. Trump's hurting us. Uh, maybe somebody should challenge Kevin McCarthy. His leadership hasn't worked out. Who might be a good person to challenge him? I don't know. Should it be Don Bacon? You know, should it be David Valadeo who voted for impeachment? Maybe we should put David Valadeo or Dan Newhouse up. No, Andy Biggs who spoke at the mall. Is the one that is challenging him on January sixth, uh, and and so all of these lunatics are going to now think they're Joe Manchin, and and they are going to extract every insane concession imaginable out of Kevin McCarthy, and it's going to be fun to watch. I can't I can't lie. I'm going to enjoy it, and I'm going to I'm going to really try to keep reminding myself to enjoy it. At, you know, anytime you know the the doom scrolling wants to take over.
1: Will, do you think he even gets the
0: gets the brass ring here? I do. I do. And I, I think he gets it because but I think he I think he suffers, but he gets it just because of the absence of an alternative. I mean, what we're we're sort of living in a time when everything's bad but there aren't alternatives available to make it better. So after they've done a the right wingers and the MAGA people have done a protest against McCarthy, unless Steve Scalise can pull them together, and say, McCarthy will get it, and and the job the job will suck, and the job will suck because of all the concessions he had to make and has to make to keep it going. I mean, if I'm Marjorie Taylor Green, I've got a list of committees that I want to be on, right? And the power will be in the hands of of those who are most willing to, to wield it or most willing to threaten the majority. You know, I'm listening to you guys though. The what I'm hearing from you, and I'm hearing I'm seeing this on Twitter and I'm hearing it from my friends, there is so much pent-up schadenfreude mm. in the non-MAGA world, right? The, the, MAGA, the MAGA people had the schadenfreude for years, and a bunch of normies sat there and watched it. And we didn't want to become like them, but I look around and see all my friends, including you guys, and me, secretly, just just savoring the suffering of Kevin McCarthy, savoring the humiliation of Donald Trump. Is that bad? I would like to be a better person, Tim. I'm trying to, but like, I, I feel it like you do, right? But I wanted to come back to McCarthy because here's an example of where, as sweet as that feels, it's bad for the country and it's bad for the world, it's bad for everybody. If we have Kevin McCarthy beholden to Matt Gates and people like that, that's not a house of representatives that's going to work. And what if we have a dysfunctional house? You can tell yourself, well, they can't do anything, and that's great, because what they want to do is evil. But, oh, they can do a lot by inaction. They can refuse to raise the debt ceiling, right? They can, they can screw with aid to Ukraine. Just by standing in the way, they can do a lot of damage. So I, I worry a lot about McCarthy with, a say, a 220-seat majority.
2: Yeah, just really quick, just on this. Um, two, well, just two things. One... I hear you. I, one thing that I said uh, when I when I started my yoga practice with JVL is one of the things I've been working on is just accepting that good things happen to bad people. It's something you get taught as a child, but I, you just we had to be reminded so just <laughs> viscerally <laughs> the last seven years, and to see bad things happen to bad people just kind of nice. I can enjoy it for a week or two. Okay, I've been working on acceptance on the good things happening to bad people, but bad, <laughs> bad things happening to bad people. It's kind of nice. Okay, that's one. Just one other thing really quick for the listeners, because I, I don't know that people that don't follow this stuff extremely closely understand this. I think this is important to understand how weak Kevin McCarthy's position is. Mitch McConnell is going to also have a challenge in the Senate, right? But he only needs to get a majority of Republican senators to stay as the, as the Senate leader. All right, That's pretty achievable. Right. And, you know, you got and, and maybe he gets booted still. But, you know, you only have to get what, 25 out of 49 or whatever for because of, you know, the, the speaker of the House elections the rules, of the Constitution. Kevin McCarthy needs 218 to be speaker. So if they have 219 members of the House of Representatives, he needs all of them except one. Two of them can can prevent him from winning the speakership election when they have the public ballot next January. Um, so he could be, hold on to his role as private as leader in this vote today. But if he only gets like two hundred votes, let's say, he's got eighteen people he's got to win over through concessions between now and then, and, and then and convince them. A- and that makes his position just so much more precarious, you know, than if he just had to win a majority of his caucus. And and I think that uh, you know if if you're not Because historically, this is not something that, you know, we've had to deal with very much, right? Which is like a a crazy element of a caucus being able to overthrow their speaker. Like, you know, people, it's not, this was, there's not a West Wing episode about this, you know? So people might might not be familiar with quite how, just how precarious this situation is.
1: I want to push back on two things here real quick. The first is, to temper our schadenfreude, the kind of guy Kevin McCarthy is, he won't care if the job sucks, All he'll care is that he'll get an official portrait as Speaker of the House, right? If he gets the ring, then all will be forgiven, right? right? He's gotten it, and and it's done. He's there in history. He'll be remembered. He will feel like he won. Uh, And he's the big winner, and we're all the losers. Is it possible, Will, that an unworkable house could actually be better? Because— a workable house is obstructed by partisanship and all that sort of stuff. But all these things that we we constantly say, hey, look, there's 65% support for issue X, whatever issue X is, right? Uh, well, if you've got 65% support for, for uh, say, Ukraine aid, then you're going to have – because you can't manage party discipline in the house – you're going to have people who just feel like they are free to vote for how their constituents want them to vote and not for how the party requires them to vote,
0: because the party isn't strong enough to enforce it. Possible? That's possible. I I wanted to say one thing, first of all, about your point about McCarthy. I think that's a very good point, because a lot of us who talk about Kevin McCarthy suffering as Speaker, if he can't get anything done, are actually projecting ourselves into that role. We would be frustrated, but— to understand MacArthur, you have to understand, the, as J.P.L. is pointing out, the absolute emptiness of this man who, if he has the office, if he has the official power and doesn't get anything done for the country, that's fine for him. That's fine from his point of view. So I think that's true. But I agree that things could get better. And the way that they could get better in an ungovernable House is if we are essentially moving into, I don't know what else to call it, a parliamentary system You know, in if in Israel, you have to it's it's hell to put together a coalition. But anybody can be in that coalition if this party won't give you the votes, you go to that party, right? So, let me just drill down a little bit on Kevin McCarthy going to Henry Cuellar and asking for his vote. That's one guy, right? He's on uh, officially the right wing of the Democratic Party. He's just a he's just a Democrat who believes in border security the way that a lot of Republicans do. But if Kevin McCarthy has to go to Henry Cuellar or other Democrats, if he has to go to Jared Golden or I don't know who else, right, you could imagine some set of Democrats who, because Kevin McCarthy needs their support, are getting some kind of leverage. And if they are part of some kind of majority, they wouldn't be like, you know, voting for Republicans the way that actual Republicans would. But if they have leverage, then we start to talk about a parliamentary kind of system that might actually be better than being governed by a MAGA Republican majority, so that's one optimistic scenario.
2: Here's the problem: he's going to get tossed out. I mean, that works for like three months max, right? I mean, Boehner, the Boehner, Boehner survived this for years, right? Where he did have to do that. It was way more than just Jared Golden and Henry Clare. I mean, Boehner to get anything passed to deal, with, like especially on budget matters, back when the Tea Party, the, the Freedom Caucus thought that their voters cared about. Cared about spending. <laughs> that was cute, actually. In retrospect, that was really nice um, when that when that's what they were demanding. Not like investigate the FBI, politicization, um, uh, Hunter Biden's underwear. Um, you know, so back then ba- Boehner needed big chunks of the Democratic Party to get budgets passed and stuff, and and that was his undoing eventually, right? Like they were just like, okay, you know, they had very lengthy speaker votes, and that's how Paul Ryan gets in as speaker. Um, and so I just. I think that the wick on that is much shorter now than it was back in those days. And if McCarthy is passing controversial things with Democrats, like that, like that, his days are numbered. I mean, they'll they'll very quickly throw him over for
1: McCarthy. Months. Got one hundred and eighty-eight votes. In the party election, it just happened moments ago. While well, as we were taping, okay. so that's
2: so uh, that's a lot short. Good luck, Kevbo. That's thir- that is th- that is thirty. That is he's got to get thirty more votes between now and then. And let me tell you, it's not. Well, there aren't any normies left. I mean, but it's not. It's not yeah. Patrick McHenry, right? It's not like <laughs> some like closet normal over there that is one of the thirty who's like, well, Kevin, I'll I'll support you in January if you just commit to. Supporting the bipartisan Ukraine aid. No, no. The, the, those 30, he's, um, he's going to have to to give some really crazy stuff. Just really quick, I mentioned this on Twitter, but it's worth talking about on this last thing on this point. I got invited to this Twitter spaces with Mick Mulvaney. Ooh. And I was kind of like, I almost never would do this because I was like, why would I do something with Mick Mulvaney? But a friend asked me to do it. And I was like, I don't know, maybe, maybe there'll, there'll be some fireworks with the Mick. It ends up being a very boring kind of roundtable, and I didn't, I didn't really get the chance to kind of have a back and forth. Um, maybe they were warned about me. One thing that was interesting from this was Mulvaney is asked about the priorities of the next House. And he, he volunteers investigating the politicization of the FBI and the deep state. As one of mm. their as one of their priorities, got to get on and that. And that's just extremely telling because Mulvaney like dumped Trump essentially, I mean, ish, right? And like as much as as much mm. you could want, not enough for the bulwark, but like you know, M- Mulvaney was the one who's like, we need to move on. Like, oh my god, this guy's crazy. I'm quitting over January sixth. So, I presume Mulvaney's the kind of guy Kevin McCarthy calls, right? Like, so I thought that was an interesting insight. You know, for for as much as the lesson of last Tuesday has been, okay, Trump's a little nutty, and maybe we should move on. It doesn't seem like any of the lessons have sunk in about oh maybe we should move on from all the nutty stuff associated with him, and, and I think that tells you if Mulvaney is already there on saying oh we're gonna do the Durham reports part three or whatever like that then that's what Kevin's gonna have to give into to get these extra thirty votes.
1: Tim, when we say that they are learning the lesson about moving on from nutty. All of these people still want to fly Venezuelan refugees out of Texas and dump them in Martha's Vineyard. Right. They all think that's amazing. So, you know, like it's a sliding scale. Yeah, uh, all right. Who is going to who is going to pay a, t- a price? Is Rana Rona Rona Romney McDaniel? Is she is she gonzo? Is Lee Zeldin going to replace her because everybody is so excited about how New York Republicans overperformed?
2: I have one tip on this. I received a text uh, from an auntie Rana. Friend of the pod, um, who is still in Republican and in, in good standing, mm, Republican in bad standing, but he's a Republican in standing still, which makes him one step more Republican than me. And um, he thinks Rhonda's going to survive too. Uh, he thinks Rhonda survives, but, which is which is insane to me. I would think that she, they would throw her over. I mean, she's lost three in a row now, <laughs> three consecutive elections,
1: right? I mean, three three consecutive elections. So that you she's... would
2: think that they would throw her overboard. But uh, but anyway, my the closest thing I have to an insider on the Republican National
0: Committee anymore uh, texted to, to tell me that he believes that she survives.
2: Well, what do you think?
0: I, I don't know in particular to her. Uh, I don't think any of these decisions can be clear until, until the party knows who the big boss is, right? To what extent Trump gets overthrown or not drives everything else. If he goes, I think she goes. Uh, I think a whole bunch of people who attach themselves to him are, are vulnerable. I mean, the whole process is being impeded by a couple of things. One is the denialism in the party. You, I mean, a business can't survive if it just denies that it's losing customers. The Republicans are, are trying to deny the results. FTX would beg to differ. <laughs> Some, be, uh, yeah, but they can't not forever. It can't go on forever, right? The other thing is, though, how long can the party hold itself together through sheer animosity, right? I mean, what Tim's talking about, this, the Mulvaney, deep, investigate the deep state, investigate the – that's kind of what's left of the Republican Party. If you don't have affirmative principles, what holds you together is animosity and investigating the other side. You're, you're, a, you're the party of Benghazi. You're not the party of, you know, some other principles. So the reason why they may not let go of that stuff that we think is crazy is because they got nothing else to hold them together? The tiers, the investigations. Affirmatively, what do they have? I mean, Rick Scott is out there complaining that Mitch McConnell isn't talking enough about that. A lot of Republicans are talking about, we don't have ideas. The reason they don't have ideas is they can't agree on them. They haven't agreed on them for years.
1: Uh, how How about Rick Scott? It'd be sort of funny if Rick Scott was the only one of these four who paid any price. So we're, we're talking about McCarthy, Rona, Rick Scott, and then Mitch. I suspect three of the four of them survived their post. Rick Scott
0: will, I think, be chucked aside from the NRSC. No. One of the most glorious things I have seen in the week after the election is Rick Scott, who the chairman of the NRSC, whose job was to elect Senate candidates, right, coming out and saying, we lost all these Senate races. Therefore, I should be somehow the new Senate the minority leader, the Senate, the Senate Republican leader. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm just, I don't know in what other line of work the guy whose division just spectacularly failed comes forward and says, I should be CEO. In all of them. This is capitalism, Will. <laughs> this is how it works. <laughs>
2: um, uh, do we, I don't think we have the Ted Cruz clip pulled up. Um, um, but so do, do, can either of you do a Ted Cruz impersonation?
1: No, not really. Jim Swift does good Ted Cruz.
2: i Ted. Oh, we should have brought Ted Jim. Here's Ted Cruz on his podcast. Will, you wear Ted Cruz as a highly, well, not as highly rated podcast as the Bullword podcast, but a medium high rated podcast. It's where he spends most of his time. He's good in an armchair, I have to say. He strains the armchair quite a bit, but uh, yeah. Um, I'm so pissed off. I cannot even see straight. Uh, we had an extraordinary opportunity. We had a generational opportunity. This should have been a fundamental landslide election. He said. He goes on to say, "We would be it would be insane for us to keep the same leadership in charge."
1: Can I just say, this is a classic example of people simply not saying what they believe, because there is no way in which this ever looked like a generational change election. Unemployment is three point five percent. There was there was never a universe. In which it looked like Republicans were going to do more than thirty-five. This is even you know pre-Dobbs and all that stuff, right? the The grand hope was they might get as many as thirty-five House seats, and they could maybe pick up three Senate seats, maybe a fourth. That that's a, this, a generational, like that, as if this is a once in every twenty or to twenty-five year opportunity. That's an insane thing, and Ted Cruz does not believe that. I think he does. No, he there's no way that guy's been around politics for
2: 25 years. He was here for the 2010 election. They convinced themselves of their own bullshit. This is this is really important to understand. They are the, the epistemic closure is costing them. It is probably I know you like to say it isn't JVL, but it is. Like they They all genuinely believe that people are mad that fourth graders are wearing cattails into school and and that like, you know, they're about all the other the election fraud and the FBI and the cancel culture on Twitter and Disney kisses like they believe this shit. They believe that people were mad about all this shit. They believe that people were furious at Joe Biden because of inflation. and that They think that Joe Biden is like a weekend at Bernie situation. And like they thought that they were going to win New Hampshire and Colorado and maybe Washington and get 54, 55 Senate seats and set themselves up for a sixty seat majority next time. They did. They did believe that. They thought they're you know gonna. Steve Bannon was out there going, "We're gonna we're gonna uh, rule for a hundred years." I, I think that they I think that they believed that. This is
1: the same psychosis that had them thinking that Mitt Romney was yes. actually ahead yes. in the closing weeks yes. of the the twenty twelve campaign. Right. This is because. Again, as I say, at no point in this race, even pre-Dobbs when things were as, as good-looking for Republicans as they could be, did this ever look like something like that? And you had
2: to be an insane person to believe it. When that Florida number dropped and Ron DeSantis was up 20, if you polled the Republican Senate caucus, all 49 of them that are left, and said, how many seats do you think we're going to have? The median answer would have been 54. That, at that moment, at that, at that, for that second, they thought, they thought that this was happening. It was all on all their Twitters. I, it was, this was not, it, Ted is not putting on an act. I mean, now what, what they are putting on an act about is when they're assessing what the problems are. Right now, like, that is all bullshit, right? Like, this is all posturing. They just want to get rid of Mitch and get, and have more power and stuff. Like, they don't, none of them really believe it's Mitch McConnell's fault. Um, or the, or if they do, they believe it for the wrong reason. <laughs> like it's Mitch McConnell's fault for not being tougher on Trump, but none of them believe that. This is actually the
1: smart MAGA play, though, is to blame it all on Mitch. I think, and because if you start blaming it all on Mitch, then if you're MAGA and you are you want more Trump, then if DeSantis declares he's on Mitch's side right? Oh, so here comes Ron DeSantis, the tool of the elite Republican. Oh, mister, I went to Harvard Law, uh, you know, with my short little arms. He's the, he's the one who, who, you know, is, is right there. They just lost this for all of us. You know, while he was padding his margins down in Florida, the rest of the Republican Party was going up in smoke because of the old crow, Mitch McConnell. Do we think Mitch McConnell survives this or no,
0: Will? Well, Mitch McConnell survives everything. Uh, he is the turtle, and he, yeah, I, I, I think he'll survive. I don't think they, ha- they have an alternative to him. Also, he has the good fortune, of course, of Rick Scott being the guy who's offering himself to run against him. And there's no way, I, I, I don't know how many people in the, Repu- the Senate Republican Conference would, would would turn in Mitch McConnell for Rick Scott, who had singularly the dumbest idea of anyone uh, running uh, of, of any of any Senate Republican, that his his plan to sunset Medicare, Social Security, that was like <laughs> such a huge talking point. That it was amazing in, in an election where where some races were decided by one percent. I mean that that could be it right there. And Mitch McConnell was the guy who sensibly said, "Shut up, we're the out party. Don't give them anything to shoot at. Just let them vote against Biden." And so I think in a contest between those two guys, if I'm a Senate Republican, I'm easily choosing McConnell. He's not to blame for the crazy candidates. Uh, The crazy candidates are much more a function of Trump endorsing the worst people in primaries. I mean, I don't think Mitch McConnell is responsible for the- He is kind of to blame, actually, but not for the reason they're
2: saying, which is that in 2014, I was there. I keep saying that nobody says it, but I was there. I was a Republican still in good standing. I met with Mitch McConnell's team. We- brought the fucking heat against the lunatics in Mississippi. They tried to put up Chris McDaniel. It was like a racist radio show host. And had we done nothing, he was going to win that primary. And and with Stuart Stevens over at Lincoln project and a bunch of other people, I, and Mitch McConnell and Josh Holmes back then, we were all friends. I, I'm not that good of friends. Clearly. You know, that ran a, a very aggressive campaign to take out that racist nutbag in, fa- in favor of, oh, my God, I'm having a senior moment. Uh, and he was having a senior moment in the campaign. That was a weekend of Bernie's situation. Who was that Mississippi senator that we kept in there?
1: Sebastian will effort that while you talk. You just
2: keep going. Yeah, please, please, Sebastian, effort that. Um, and 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 he wins that primary in the end by like two percent. And we had to pull out every card in the book. OPPO, we're out there turning out conservative black voters into the Republican primary Thad Cochran. It got I got it before before Sebastian Thad Cochran. <laughs> we kept Thad
0: Cochran in there, but for, not before you used effort as a verb, which I won't forgive you guys for.
2: Okay, uh, and 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 Chris McDaniel might have lost that general election in a Roy Moore situation. Now the Mississippi seat would have come back six years later, but that could have been a Roy Moore type situation. That dude was so crazy. Mitch McConnell didn't do that this time. Because he's scared of Trump, and so he complained about the candidate quality. Yeah, but he let Herschel Walker win. He didn't. He, he signed on, on to the Herschel Walker experiment. Early. They didn't try to. He didn't try to primary Herschel Walker. What was the alternative? He didn't. And Mark Burn. They. I don't know. How about Jeff Duncan, who's the fucking lieutenant governor? Jeff Duncan was
0: part of the Kemp re- refusing to overturn the election. and left.
2: Kemp won the primary against David Perdue. Why couldn't have Jeff Duncan tried it? Why, could, or why couldn't somebody else? Why couldn't they have recruited somebody to try it? This is like, oh, we couldn't have done this because what do you mean? Brian Kemp did it. Brad Ravensburger did it. They won. Mitch didn't even try. So he gave that seat up. How about New Hampshire? Don Bolduck. They let the general, like, why didn't they try to recruit somebody else in that one? Mitch said, hey, I, don't, I don't want to get involved. I don't want to deal with Corey Lewandowski's territory. Chris Sununu doesn't want to do it. If Sununu doesn't want to do it, I'm out. Doug Ducey was scared to run in Arizona. So Mark Bernovich was in. I hate Mark Bernovich; He's terrible. Better than Blake Masters. <laughs> was, was Mitch out there putting his thumb on the scale for Mark Bernovich? No, no. He, he let Peter Thiel put his thumb on the scale for Blake Masters. So Mitch McConnell sat on the sidelines while all, while, and let the MAGA wing nominate all these people. A- and now he's the minority leader. He should be blamed for it. But none of these assholes are blaming him for that because the MAGA people would have to admit that they put up bad candidates. And the establishment people, that gives away the whole game. The whole game that I wrote about in my book, which is that we had no choice, guys. We didn't have any choice. We had, we had to just let the lunatics win because that's what the voters wanted. Well, bullshit, now you lost every fucking race. And so Mitch McConnell should be punished for that, but he's not going to be uh, because because it's not in the interest of anyone in the Republican Party to say it. Only somebody like me, who has no hope or career future,
0: can say that and speak truth. Not every race. J.D. Vance won. <laughs> so can I second everything Tim said, but just to add, can we agree that if it if there is a an election a lopsided election between mitch mcconnell and rick scott that is a that is an election between a fool and a coward i mean mcconnell's sin is cowardice yes. oh yeah he's not a fool the way that scott is yeah, yeah. for sure
2: but could rubio beat him rubio just one by no, 20
1: because there are too many people who don't want rubio to be a threat right yeah. this is you you can't be somebody who. how about john thune could john thune beat him uh, John Cornyn. That's an interesting question. But would John Thune want the job? Right. Know. I mean, this is the right. So, Probably not. You know, like the, in the world of people who, you know, let me say this for Rick Scott though. You know, say what you Idiot. want about uh, cutting Medicare and Social Security, <laughs> uh, but at least it's an ethos, <laughs> right? I mean, he unlike this unlike Mitch McConnell, he decided like, look, I'm going to give a, pl- I'm going to tell the voters what we might want to do. And McConnell refused to do that. I don't know. Shouldn't we sort of applaud that? Isn't that what we want out of politicians? Is to tell us what their ideas are, so we can vote about their ideas? No, I agree with that.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah. Slow clap for Rick Scott. There's something to be said for that. But on Rubio, if I'm a Senate Republican, why would I replace an old coward in McConnell with a young coward in Rubio? I mean, I've seen nothing from Marco Rubio since the whole small hands thing, you know, what, six years ago, that suggests to me he's got any more courage than the old man. Probably right.
2: I will say to your, at least there's an ethos, just on a totally random tangent, but relevant today, because it's one of the topics of the next level, gay stuff. Uh, I feel the same way about Ben Shapiro who sent a tweet today. He is mad. Ben is mad again because there's a Disney movie where a gay boy has a crush on a boy and the dad is supportive. The dad supportive. I know, I know. Ben did a series of tweets, today, a false tweet thread about the gay agenda, and now don't let them don't let them deny that they have one. Disney has a gay agenda, and they're out. And I gotta say, is good for you, Ben Shapiro. To, to disown All these the other anti-gay bigots who now kind of pretended like they changed their mind. No, like I'm, I, I, I'm happy that Ben Shapiro is out there fighting the good fight. And letting the American people know where he stands, which is no gay love stories, no supportive fathers in gay movies, cut Social Security and Medicare. I, I think that this should be the Ron DeSantis agenda for 2024. Fuck Disney. Fuck Disney <laughs> and gay, gay people. Uh, cut Social Security and Medicare. We have an ethos. We are consistent, principled conservative conservatism. And I think Ben and Ron should just take that role with it.
0: Can, can I just throw in one more thing? So Rick, Rick, this is a Rick Scott gave an interview on Fox News over the weekend and just a portrait of what a sort of what this affirmative alternative would be, JBL. He said the Republican leadership caved in on the debt ceiling, caved in on a gun bill caved in on a fake infrastructure bill. We make it difficult for our candidates. That's what Rick Scott is talking about. So it's not constructive. Yes. It's rejecting any cooperation with the other side on some extremely bipartisan things like, like a very mild gun bill and an extremely popular and useful infrastructure bill.
1: So this this leads us to the Trump 2024 part of the program, uh, we're taping this before his announcement. Uh, maybe he has announced that he's running for president. Maybe he's announced just the formation of an exploratory committee. Who can say? I have been surprised at how poorly Trump has reacted to the last week. By poorly, I don't mean that he's, you know, behaved badly. I don't mean that in a, in a, as a value judgment. I just mean as a, as a matter of strategy. He flying off the handle to attack Glenn Youngkin and Ron DeSantis seems counterproductive to me and seems like the kind of response that makes him weak and that what he should have been doing was attacking Mitch McConnell. Because if he attacks DeSantis, you're going to have some percentage of conservative elites, and Republican elites, which are going to use that as a pretext to try to distance themselves from him. But all those people hate Mitch anyway. And so he ought to make this into a Trump versus Mitch fight. And for all of these reasons, right? Uh, This is Mitch McConnell. He's been working too much with. He's the reason. Why did he sign on with all those socialist Democratic Biden agenda items that he he voted for? How dare he? And he can set up what I think is Trump's comeback story, which will be the debt ceiling fight. I, I think that Trump will sort of turn the debt ceiling vote into like what Reagan did with the Panama Canal in 70, 76 or 78. Um, Well, no, you remember this is like, you know, Reagan, uh, Reagan was like, we can't possibly give the Panama Canal back. And that became like this real populist rallying. I'm just just
2: saying that offended my sensibilities. Okay, I don't know. I'm I'm sorry, why? Because it happened
1: before five minutes ago? (laughs) I mean, it's kind of a canal, you know, you can see how it. Anyway, so what, what do you guys think about how Trump is playing his hand? Because I, I have to say, it looks like a guy who is maybe losing his fastball. Did he ever have a fastball? Yeah, I
0: think he did. A real, a real sense for how to exploit weakness. We met Trump, I mean, most of America, people who weren't watching The Apprentice or weren't, like folk, weren't looking at his political career before he ran for president. We met him as two things, a narcissist and a winner. I mean, very quickly from when he announced, he shot to the top of the polls. He pretty much stayed there a little bouncing around with Ben Carson, but he what, he had to get through Iowa. Very few moments of Donald Trump being a loser. And that was really important to him because it masked the narcissism and people, people followed Trump because he was a winner. We don't really have a lot of experience dealing with Trump as a loser. Um, he, you know, he lost the general election 2020 had to deny it. That's how much he couldn't deal with being a loser. And now that he's sort of clearly lost with his candidates and people are defecting from him, the Murdochs and others defecting from him, people turning to Ron DeSantis, this is the first time we're actually seeing how Donald Trump behaves as a clear, pretty consistent loser. And it's what you would expect from a guy who is fundamentally a narcissist, who doesn't work well with others, and has nothing else to fall back on. So I guess I'm not surprised by the way he's behaving. This is the way someone who doesn't care about other people, doesn't think about other people, and is essentially less than 12 years old. He's a child the way he insults other people, demeans them, tries to tear them down. So all that's consistent with his personality, and unless he somehow starts to win, I think we're just looking at more of this.
2: Yeah, this is not my party this week, so I'll do a brief version of it for this, but... um... Uh, I, I'm a little bit surprised about how poorly um, he's game. He's gamed this out because he had these guys with the with the 2020 fraud thing basically checkmated. And then he just walked himself into a new trap, right? I mean, it was this sense was things were great when I was president. It was stolen from us because of the fraud. Let's make us great again, right? Like, I, and, and it was hard to defeat that challenge, to to defeat that rhetorically. It was going to be very hard as long as people believed the fraud lie. It was going to be very hard. So push back on that if you're on DeSantis. Here's the, here's where he fucked up though. By by because he's a narcissist, to Will's point, he couldn't he couldn't just hang out in Mar-a-Lago, which is really what he needed to do. Was just hang out. He didn't need to fucking place any bets on this race. You know, he just he just needed to hang out, talk about how awful Joe Biden was and how awful the Chinese were and whatever, you know, how terrible the border is and and inflation and just not just kind of see, not be involved in the midterms. The midterms, he didn't he didn't have any role to play. He injected himself into it, and by doing that, he saddled himself with this loss, and and it was just a total miscalculation. He assumed it was going to be a big win for Republicans. It was a bad bet, and he is he he gave Ron DeSantis this opening now. By, by engaging in that and by now giving people an opportunity to pivot off to a winner. And I think that Chait was really good on this point, I, I think, which is ever since Marco and Trump were arguing about their dicks, okay, from, from that point until now, if you wanted to defect to Trump, you kind of had to just be for the Democrat, right? You could do the dance that a handful of people on Twitter do, but, like, mostly you had to be—the the off-ramp was a Democrat, like, mostly, Um, and now the off ramp is a Republican and Trump has given them this off ramp by, by being a loser, by attacking Ron DeSantis, by attacking Youngkin. So I I agree. I I think that he's, he's made his bed. Now, I think that that there's a lot of sand pits ahead for anyone that wants to challenge him. I, I still am skeptical of DeSantis's ability to go toe to toe with him, but he's starting from a much stronger position than he would have had Trump just, just shut his fucking trap for a few months.
1: I think I disagree with this about Trump disappearing. I, not disappearing, but not not engaging in the intra fight. Yeah, you know what though? By being involved in this, he made sure that win or lose, if if his candidates won, then he got the credit for it. And if they lost, at least we didn't have new Republican stars being created independent of him, right? Which is there would be no. No Republican Moore, rising up who could look, be looked at as a potential challenger to him. Uh, and I think it was a mistake for him to elevate DeSantis publicly, right? And this is actually, he's always been a, a you know, in game theory, game theory, they call this tit for tat, right? The classic game. Uh, and Trump has always practiced this with pretty, pretty good discipline, right? He doesn't attack you unless you attack him. And then if you attack him, he, he goes after you with a hammer. And uh, to, to start out that way with DeSantis, I think, is problematic. And again, his true enemy here should be McConnell. I mean, McConnell's perfect, right? And McConnell's a perfect foil because all the other republican base voters hate McConnell, too, right? It's, it's an easy thing. And so if you set it up as Trump versus McConnell and then DeSantis gets in, DeSantis is just as a matter of optics on McConnell's side. Right. Oh, so here here's Mitch McConnell's cat's paw in the race. And I'm not going to you know, I'm, I'm still on you, the side of the people. And they stole this election from me once and I'm the winner. And you know what he should be saying is, look at what happens when I'm not on the ballot. Right. When Trump is on the ballot, Republicans do better across the board. And I think that that's a, a pretty a pretty cogent argument for him to make. Um, if we were if we were putting odds on this. Will, I think you're, we'll go from, what I think is going to be low
0: to high. Give me the odds that Trump is the 2024 Republican nominee. Oh, hell. I, I, I don't know if I can give you a number on that. I'll, I'll say low, lower than 50%. So I'll, I'll say. Lower than 50%. Yeah, I'll say four, I'll say four out of 10. So you would, you would take the field over Trump? Yeah, I would take the field over Trump at this moment. Tim? I take Trump over the
2: field. He's about as low as I've had him, though. I, I would have had him 80%, I think, or 85% even, really, three weeks ago. And I, I'd probably make it 60 now. I think it's probably 60-40 Trump versus Field for me.
1: Yeah, I think I'm almost exactly in that place. and But not because of the election results, more just the way he's reacted to them. His reaction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. His so, his reaction looks like a guy who maybe doesn't... Again, what, what he has always had was a sense of weakness and an instinctive knowledge of how to exploit it. So,
0: can, can I, like, can I uh, follow up on Tim's point, though? Because I, yeah. I agree that he should have just hung out if his goal was, if he's thinking long term. Trump's not good at thinking long term. Here's the best construction I can give you, Tim, for what he was thinking to the extent it was strategic, which in Trump's case is often not strategic at all. But what if he thinks, I don't have to have my people my endorsees win in the general election. I just have to control the Republican Party. I have to be able to punish you within Republican primaries. Mm-hmm. He has done that. He still kind of has the right. power to do that. If you don't care about governing, that's sort of an acceptable strategy to you. The, quest, the opening question to me is... Will enough Republicans decide that it doesn't just matter getting through the Republican primary, that if you don't win general elections, if you don't actually win the Senate, if you don't win enough of the House, um, we're going to turn away from the, the path and the person that caused that, right? If Republicans actually start to care about general elections, more than they care about primaries, or enough that they are willing to lose some primaries in order to get on a, on a path that leads them to winning general elections, then Trump's strategy fails. But more importantly, the country is saved. I mean, if we could get Republicans to care about general elections, and we can make general elections effective in punishing this kind of Republican extremism, this insanity, then we're done. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, we're back on the path to sanity. yeah ending
2: on a sarah optimism note thank you for stepping in for sarah today will this was that was you you did exactly what this podcast needed for balance
1: i want to take a blowtorch to everything will just (laughs) said but uh but i'm not going to because it's been a good show but a long show and it's time for us to get out of here uh everybody thanks for being with us on the next level hit the subscribe button really quick
2: jbl sorry to interrupt if you are in new hampshire yeah. I'm in New Hampshire Ooh. tonight, Wednesday. Depends on when this is. I'm in New Hampshire at St. Anselm's. Come hang with me. I'm going to do a little talk. Sign a book. We can make fun of people. You know, it'll be a good time. So if you're in New Hampshire or in the, sort of, the greater New Hampshire region, Vermont, not a far drive over to St. A's or northern Boston. Bring whatever. the general with you. Bring the general. Yeah, come on by. Maybe we'll run into Corey Lewandowski. I'm hoping to. to I might, while I'm there, I might try to do a little bit of kind of investigative work on the stabbings that Corey Lewandowski claims to have committed um, in the the region. So anyway, hope to see you at St. Anselm's. Sorry to interrupt that awesome close you're about to do, JBL. Great.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, listen, go subscribe to all of our stuff. Go to thebulwark.com and get more of this hot fire every single day on the web, on the podcasts, and uh, on the YouTubes as well. Will, thanks for being here. Tim, good to see you next time. Peace out.